Okay. I'm going to take, first of all, I love the whole idea of talking about uh, the selfishness and being charitable. Be selfish. <laughs> yes. Be agreed. selfish. And that is the data, though. The data is it is incredibly beneficial to both yes. the, the, the person who is providing the service or charity and those who are receiving it. And it actually, the data is suggesting that we are getting more than yes. we're giving. And if that's the case, be selfish. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah, not going to change funny. the brand it's... name, though. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Sean Fitzgerald. Sean is a developing altruist. He's got a project that's really amazing called We Not Me, and we're going to talk all about it. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks for having me, Mark. Really grateful to be here. First and foremost, what is the project you're working on, We Not Me? Okay, I'll, I'll try to be as clear as possible. It's been a process for me. I'm right now at the point of my career and my just passion for what I want to do next. This whole idea of altruism came about uh, a few years back, and I wanted to put it into practice with my students. I'm actually a, a Boston public school teacher, and about uh, the year 2015, um, I had a really, really challenging uh, group of students. And um, I, I'm currently now in my 26th year of teaching. And you know, I've gone through a lot of professional development. Um, I pride myself on good classroom management. Um, being an elementary school teacher, there's not a lot of male teachers around. So I often had um, some of the more challenging students because it was their first experience with having a guy teacher. It was kind of a novelty. Um, so each and every year, it felt like the kids were becoming more challenging. Um, we have a number of uh, uh, classes in my school, um, but it seemed like um, the kids' challenges were becoming more and more uh, difficult to to maintain. So having said all of that, this one particular class um, had a number of students who uh, read well below grade level. Um, they had some uh, socioeconomic needs, um, very diverse population, a lot of kids, second language learners. Um, and my bag of tricks was not working this year. And um, I was really at a loss. It was really a humbling experience. Um, and I really... I didn't know how to move forward. Um, all my professional development and, and the tricks I used in the past were kind of failing me. And what happened was um, I had um, an experience with my father-in-law and mother-in-law who were relocating to Florida from the North Shore. And my wife and I were commissioned to go help them move. And that was a, it was a big undertaking. Um, and there weren't a lot of the family members around. And we said, okay, we'll get up there. We spent, you know, good eight hours moving them. And, um, and it was a really amazing experience for me. I had moved my college friends and, and done things like that before, you know, always called in favors. But for me to do this for my in-laws was like, okay, all right, I, I need to be, I need to be available. Um, I had already been married for, for a couple of years and they were making this big life change. And so we worked hard to get everything done. And um, I had this really overwhelming feeling of uh, accomplishment and purpose. And it was it was really interesting because my wife and I had taken separate cars and I was driving home back on the South Shore. And I had this, this sense of euphoria. It was really, 
Um, it was, I, I really could pinpoint exactly what it was. And I thought to myself, I was like, I felt so incredibly grateful to be able to have the ability and the willingness to help them do something. And, um, and prior to that, my, my, I have a wonderful relationship with my mother-in-law and father-in-law and, um, and they were incredibly appreciative. And as many school teachers do, we can't kind of turn off um, thinking about school. And I immediately went to, I had this great, great feeling. And then all of a sudden I had this down feeling like, oh, you know, Monday school again. And I have this really challenging group and I got to get to them. And for some reason it all came together. And I said, wow, this is a great feeling. Where is this feeling coming from? And I, I equated it with the whole idea of helping someone else. Um, even though it was a loved one, it was a family member, um, it was a really great feeling in a simple feeling. And it was like a high. And they, and as I researched this whole concept of altruism, they refer to it as the helper's high. Um, there's a lot of data and statistics around um, the benefits of being altruistic. So I immediately said, how can I apply this to my kids? And I said, well, they're still having trouble academically. There's some behavior issues. And um, I need to do something different. And so I said, how can I replicate this feeling that I have in the school setting? Because I knew that my kids possess gifts. They just didn't show up necessarily as academic gifts, the traditional um, gifts that someone who would be successful in school. And I said, well, you know, uh, I'm not going to, you know, they're struggling in math. Giving them more math right now is going to frustrate them more. They're struggling with reading, more reading. And so to to get to the point where I was going to make them better readers and better math students and be able to behave in a class in a school setting, I had to do something differently. And that's when it dawned on me to say, hey, maybe I should put them in a position where they can experience this euphoria that I felt and this whole idea of giving back or serving others. Um, we're really expecting nothing else in return. I expected nothing else. It was like, hey, I was free labor um, and it was wonderful. Um, and I immediately... Um, got to planning. And I talked to a couple of people who were really close to me. And I said, I'm thinking about kind of trying to create kind of a platform where I can help kids um, be in service to each other and in the hopes of um, having them experience this whole, this, this, this whole helper's high, but also give them a sense of purpose, um, a sense of community, the hopes of building relationships where there really were none um, because they had such negative experiences in the classroom. Um, and that's kind of where it all began. Um, and from there, there, there's been a lot of a lot of extensions to it. But at its core, I remember that kind of inspirational moment that was a springboard for what I what, what was to come in the, the following years. Isn't that isn't that amazing that you felt this feeling and your first instinct was how do i share this feeling how do i get as many other people feeling this way and oh maybe it will get them to focus in on their reading a little bit more and their math tell us about that monday morning when you went in and and uh dropped this new idea on the class oh, that, that was that was magical um and so Again, to give you a, again, a little more background on the kids, um, think of the most challenging student that may have been in your classroom. I probably had about six to 10 of them in, in one classroom of 25 students. And without revealing any you know, intimate details of their, of their challenges, two girls in particular were documented, and I don't like to put labels, but they were documented as uh, having bullying behavior. 
and as you know, we take bullying behavior really seriously in schools now is what's happened over the past decade um, with kids who have, you know, have been bullied and, and what, what is to come. And so these two students were, you know, documented bully or bullies and they were separated in early grades as early as first grade. However, they were reunited in fourth grade, which I was teaching at the time. And they really were at each other's throats and each and everyone else. It didn't matter where they went. It was just conflict. They were a magnet for conflict. Um, and so I sat them all. We have what is called like a morning meeting. We sit down and we kind of talk about what's in the day's events or things to come. And so I had compiled a kind of a slide deck. I had done my research because I wasn't just going to go in cold. And I said, let me really find out some more about what altruism is all about. Is this just something that just overcame me or is it something there's more to it? And I did a ton of reading, ton of research, put together a slide deck. I found this really cool inspirational uh, video from, uh, I think it was on PBS with Alan Alda. And he had done some stuff around, I think, Scientific America or something along those lines. Um, and it was a video showing toddlers performing altruistic acts um, as early as 18 months old hmm. and unprompted, um, really cool. Uh, just I, without going into details of it, I, um, I shared this with the students and I talked about the number one goal was it wasn't about, Hey, I want you to have this helpers high. I kind of kept that close to the vest. Yeah. What I did say was like, we, I've, I've noticed that we're having some struggles in our community in a community, meaning our classroom of 25 kids. But I also said, I'm also seeing things in the community, in our school community. Has anyone else seen any of those things? So kids really started sharing all the struggles that they faced within the classroom, without the outside of the classroom, and in their home communities. And I said, I have a theory. I have a feeling that we can we can make things a little bit better in our community. And we're going to be, we're gonna, we're gonna make that change. We're not gonna wait for other people because those are some of the things that we that the mindset that I'm trying to change, my own mindset and the mindset of others is that we can't wait for change. We can't wait for someone else to solve our problems. And I said, we're going to be the change agents. And so in fourth grade language, I rolled that out to them, showed them the video. There was also some fun animation videos about what altruism, what happens inside the brain neurologically. And so I really had a pitch as it was really, a, it was, it was, a, it was a sales pitch to the students. Mm. And then when I put it back on them, I said, what do you guys think about this? And what are some things that we can do? And we took out the chart paper and we just started brainstorming all of these things we could do that we felt would make a difference in our community in the hopes of the bullying behavior stopping, um, kids feeling more invested in their school, kids feeling safe and accepted. Um, all the things that are kind of popular now, we, I, I felt like we were a little ahead of the curve um, with a bunch of nine and 10 year olds who, who actually were leading the conversation. These weren't my ideas. It just was, you know, I wanted to replicate that feeling that I had. Um, and that um, immediately took off. And, and in the, in the, the public schools, um, there's a great movement to develop social and emotional learning with students. And so I already had this like period, um, blocked off every week. Um, I'll, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that I, I kind of ignored the existing, uh, curriculum that was, was being used because it didn't meet the needs of my particular students. And so I just kind of moved over this social, emotional learning scripted curriculum, to a to a program that really was at its infancy that I was trying to develop with a group of 25 students. Um, and boy, they validated it and they validated it very quickly. 
So tell us some of the things that you did. So you obviously you start with experimenting. How did some of those first uh, experiments go? Okay, so um, the first year, and this is definitely has evolved, but the first year, and this was probably, we probably didn't kick this off until the late fall. Um, I think it was at that time. So we had, you know, we already had the get to know you period and the school year had already started and whatnot. Um, So we were kind of behind on it, but it was, I still felt like we could do some meaningful things. And so we started brainstorming um, things we could do for staff members, Uh. things we can do for each other, um, things that we could do at home. Um, So we had those kind of categories laid out. And I don't remember exactly what the first project we did, but we called it the, you know, the we not me. What's we we not me? What is it this week? And and briefly, what what we not me um, meant was is, and this was part of the pitch that I that I shared with them during that first week uh, was this whole idea of the me is important. You are very important. If your needs aren't being met, it's really hard to think about anyone else. However, the there is there is a collective group that includes me, and that's the we. And so we need to be thinking about the we as much, if not thinking about just the me. And the not was, you know, was kind of a catchphrase saying we think about all of us and not just me. But we not me had a better, better ring to it than we not just me. Um, and so um, so the kids were referred to as like, what's we not me this week? What are we going to do this week? Nice. So I think the very first one when and this was one of the one of the claims that I feel strongly about and I imparted this onto the kids is that and this is not to take away from any of the work that people have done on like a global scale or thinking of things that are really, really big when it comes to philanthropic work and volunteer work. I had noticed that when people were doing things that were good for the community, it was the community well removed from my kids' reality. Um, I think it was, I don't know if it was the Australian wildfires at the time, or there was whatever the global issues were at that time, that it was so far removed from what my kids could, could grasp. They had never, some kids had never been on a plane. Some kids had never left the Boston area. Um, And so I said, we need to serve first where we are. And where we are is our school building, our classroom. All of that is our immediate community, the people we see every day, the people that we really want to celebrate and to and to to honor and to do something for in the hopes of building a better community. Because again, it always came back to let's build a better community and we're going to be the, you know, the the the, the catalyst for that. So I think the very first one was a very elementary arts and crafts kind of project. And it was as simple as let's get down to the kindergartners. Now, remember, my kids are reading below grade level. So for me to go serve a third grade classroom or another fourth grade classroom, my kids' academic skills would have been far below and that actually would have caused them maybe some great anxiety. But going down to a kindergarten class where kids are just beginning to read and they have they're very uh, impressionable of the big fourth graders coming down, here's an opportunity for us right away to make a connection. So I reached out to the kindergarten teachers and they did these things. It was an arts and craft thing that didn't rely heavily on academics because again, I wanted my kids to feel success and I wanted them to make connections and be kind of a mentor um, to, to these younger children. And so there was this arts and crafts thing. It basically takes a square piece of paper and it folds it kind of origami style and it, it serves as a bookmark. 
and it, they're called monster bookmarks. So you put googly eyes on them, you can decorate them with you know fangs and teeth, you can put bunny rabbit ears on them, whatever you wanna do. And so it tapped into some of the kids' creativity. And so what the kids did after I modeled how to do it, showed them some instructional videos, and we took the We Not Me block and said, hey, let's make as many of these as possible and let's go on a, 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 a reading book tour, a book, you know, a, a love of book tour to the kindergartners because they're just learning to read. And you guys are turning into great readers now, but they're just learning to read. So we need to celebrate reading and this would be a great way to influence them because they look up to you. So they were ecstatic about that. And they probably designed in a probably 45 minute block, they probably designed enough for three or four classrooms. And we have about five kindergarten classrooms. We were, school is very large. And so reached out to the kindergarten teachers. They were so excited about it. come on down. And so they had books already picked out. We brought down some books and the kids had their, and every Friday, one of the things that was important to us is that I, one of the altruistic things I tried to do is I said, I'm going to purchase t-shirts for you because I would love this to be more public. I want people to see the great work that you're doing. And we're not doing this for recognition, but we're doing this to hopefully inspire other people to join in. So if it's not just Mr. Fitz's class doing this, this is everyone. Hey, I want in on this. How can I be part of, you know, of, of this, this, we, not me and, and teachers and eventually did that. And so the kids went down and they had their, we, not me shirts on. And so right away, it's like, wow, these well, the kindergarten kids are looking at the big kids and like, well, they're in uniform. What, what, where'd you get these t-shirts from? What are these t-shirts all about? And that became a conversation. So the kids would read with them, be their reading buddies, and they would give them their bookmark and show them how to use it, what the purpose of it was. Um, and that would be one example of um, a project that we did. And what was really awesome about it is that, again, my school is very large, you know, probably over 150 teachers. I don't know all the teachers that well. And so right away, I started developing a more collaborative collegial um, relationship with the adults in the building because as a teacher, sometimes you're with your kids all day and you don't get to connect with the adults unless you're at an after-school meeting for three hours. Um, and it's not the most meaningful uh, time to connect with people. Um, and so that was, was one of the results, which was wonderful. But the one that was most powerful is that the next time those kindergarten kids were filing in the classroom, they then the hallways rather, they saw my students and were like hopping out of line and they had to be kind of redirected to be like, okay, we're quiet in the hallway, but they were like, but that's my reading. That was my, that my monster bookmark buddy. And so right away you could see the chests of my students, you know, peacock kind of attitudes pumped up and they're like, wow, I mattered to somebody. Like I had a purpose. Um, that kid knows me now. And so those were one of the consistent um, uh, results of any project that we did with another classroom or another staff member. And there were things, countless things we did with staff also that automatically created this authentic relationship uh, across racial lines, ethnic lines. It didn't matter. Like kids saw them as that's my buddy. Um, that was my fourth grade buddy. That's Mr. Fitz's class. They came down to see us, and, you know, and it was, it was a really, a really powerful first experience for them. So they received that helper's high. They felt good. So tell us about what the effects of that were. So that was really cool. So 
again, thinking about, you know, think about the audience right now. And we think about um, everyone has been to school, but not everyone has worked in a school. Um, it's one of those professions that everyone can tell you what to do because they've gone through it. Um, and I know that well, the things that society thinks about is like, well, we make sure that our kids are coming out literate and make sure they have great math skills and they get science and they can be in the workforce and all these wonderful things because we do want them college and career ready. And those are the kind of things we talk about in the educational setting. So I was hoping that, and this is what the data says, is that there's a correlation between this whole idea of altruism and this, this whole self-worth motivation, academic improvement. So right away, within weeks, without exaggeration, homework completion rate went up, attendance wow. went up. Um, just the whole just soft skills like kids who never raised their hands in class were raising their hands. I had a transformation that I wish I tell you it was made for a documentary that if someone just followed this along, um, I, it's easy for me to talk about this, Mark, because I saw it firsthand. Um, it wasn't a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I did have this idea like, oh, this is this is this could work. And I started to see kids academically engaged in their performance right away start to improve. I'm talking about weeks. And it really came down to a mindset because obviously they had skill deficits and you know, a kid's not going to jump two grades in a reading level, but boy, what if he actually or she picks up a book and says, now, hey, Mr. Fitz, you say reading is important. I, you know, I feel like, oh, I'm more engaged in school now than I was before. And I believe firmly that it was connected to this helper's high um, that we consistently and did. So the helper's high then creates this community within your community with the same purpose. What Absolutely. did it what did it do for you? Um so this takes this is a this is a backstory and I'm going to try to keep it concise because <laughs> I didn't realize you know as I was thinking about um coming on the podcast and sharing the story I really had to go back in time because I always equated to that moment where I actually helped my mother-in-law and father and it went well before that. And well, again, we all have histories and we all have um, experiences we've gone through. And I have to go back to um, my upbringing when I was raised. So I am, and it's funny when I, I meet people, you know, they go, oh, where are you from? And I go, I'm from Boston. Well, well you from the North Shore, South Shore? What? No, I'm from Boston. I grew up in a Boston neighborhood. That's, you know, and so, and, and my, my wife used to joke with me and she said, depending on who you're talking to, you tell them that you were from High Park or you're from Mattapan. But I literally lived on the line. So I was born and raised in Boston, went to Boston public schools. Um, and I was born at the time, I was coming of school age as busing had already started. So we have some racial unrest in Boston. And um, my mother and father had moved into Mattapan um, before uh, before um, busing started, I think in 69. And I was born a couple of years later. And so... Um, we didn't have a lot of means. My father was a meat cutter. Uh, my mother worked. A, she was a clerk in Mattapan Square, and um, and we didn't have we didn't have wealth, <laughs> uh, to to put it plainly, and uh, we didn't have an opportunity to relocate. Uh, we lived um, lived uh, we lived in a two family house owned by a landlord, and my mom kind of took care of her for a reduced rent, and my dad demonstrated what I believed were the seeds of this whole concept of the helper's high. And I never realized it until probably recently. 
And um, again, we're going through this transformation in a neighborhood from a you know predominantly white neighborhood, Jewish community, Mattapan, to um, an, pretty much an all African-American community. And that happened literally like overnight. I remember when the first black family moved in and I was probably, I don't know, four or five years old. Um, and one of the things that my dad modeled for me, um, again, no high school uh, education. I mean, he didn't high, graduate from high school, um, 10th grade education. My mom graduated high school. So we weren't a, a big um, educational family. We were, a survivor. we were survivalists. And my dad um, modeled this whole idea of taking care of your neighbors. And I, I thought it was really powerful. So we had a Jamaican family that lived next door to us. Um, and we had another um, uh, Dominican or no, Cape Verdean family that lived across the street. And there was a, you know, a couple other families um, down the street from us. And my dad kind of looked after all of them. Like he helped out, you know, he helped, he helped teach one of the neighbor's carpentry skills. My dad was always an aspiring carpenter, carpenter, but life got in the way. He did the landscaping and yard work uh, for the elderly woman across the street. Um, he took all the kids to uh, the BNBL uh, summer league basketball games um, um, in the, the big Catalina that sat five across the front. And he got nothing, you know, it was no one gave him money for that. He just did it. He was, he was the automatic pitcher for stickball in the school next door. And I just, I, I always believed that that's what dads were supposed to do. Um, and so that was modeled me, modeled for me for a very early age. Meanwhile, there's violence, there's, you know, fighting, there's, there's all kinds of uh, unsafe uh, things that are happening in Mattapan at that time in the seventies. And we were insulated from it and I could never put my finger on it. We were like, we were the only white family in the neighborhood but no one messed with the Fitzgerald kids. And I think a lot of it had to do is that my dad had built up and my mom had built up such goodwill in the community that that was inevitable, that we were, we were, we were community. We were, we were, we were brothers, you know, that the, the, he looked after, he looked after a lot of the kids in the neighborhood, um, regardless if they had a dad or not. Um, and I was talking to my sister recently and I said, wow, that was like an epiphany for me. I was like, the seed really was planted with dad and my sister's uh, 10 years younger than me. So she really only knew a Mattapan that was, um, well, she was, you know, the only white kid. There were a sprinkling of white families when I was uh, growing up, um, but it, it completely changed by the time my sister was there. And then um, again, trying to make a long story short, I, I always wanted to aspire to, because I, I the poverty as we, I got older, I started to, understand and recognize the poverty. I was surrounded by love, community love, mother and father love, sibling love, all of that. But I wore the same pair of pants for two weeks. I, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, never had money in my pocket. We, you know, we, the, we, we lost the car. We didn't have a phone. There were a lot of like basic needs that we didn't have that the, the other people in the community had. And my mindset shifted at that time. And I was a aspiring basketball player, kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. I did, didn't really get in trouble. I did well in school. And I always had that mindset, I got to get out. This is danger. It was, again, survival. And I even talked to, um, you know, the, the police chief in my town. And I'm like, you know, he always says to me, he goes, how did you get out? And so I, I can't even answer him. 
because it wasn't just about getting out because a lot of times it was an awesome experience. It was just an unsafe one, that, but I didn't know any better. And so I, 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 my mindset changed and it was like, I was definitely all about me. I got to get out. I have to get mine. I have to, I equated um, wealth and education, all that stuff was my ticket out. Basketball was going to be my ticket out, not professionally, just a means to an end. And I really didn't think about any of the things that my dad did. I wasn't thinking about anyone other than me. Um, and I went into, I, I went to high school. Um, I did a, I actually did a year of postgraduate school, which is another experience that tie, that influences what I, who I am today. And I went on to Clark University in Worcester. And right away, I was like, I'm going to be an economics business major. I'm going to make boatloads of money. And I'm my children are not going to experience what I experienced. And right away, I realized that that was not going to make me happy. And um, I immediately sh shifted my mindset around that time. And it was at the exact same time that I had lost my father and I was just turning 21 years old and he was my best bud. He was like my model. He was, he was, I, I always say to my other friends, I said, he was imperfectly flawed. <laughs> he was, he was, he was, he was an imperfectly flawed man. Um, uh, a perfectly flawed man rather. And, um, and I thought about that was my life kind of came crashing down at that time. And my mom had, had gone through some mental health issues. So my, my my whole life was kind of crumbling before me and i had worked my my basketball experience i had worked for the celtics camp in brandeis and it was just kind of one of the things the basketball players did and i really connected with the coaching aspect of um of that summer experience and i was like wow maybe i should go into education I'm, i work really well with kids and i went back to clark that next semester and i was like i'm going to devote myself to becoming an educator and i became, I became certified and I had been teaching 26 years since then. And I haven't, and I've gotten so far away from that, 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 that 19 year old kid that was entering college thinking about the me. And I'm definitely on the top with the we now and, and really seeing the benefits of that, um, of being able to serve, give back. I mean, being an educator, I can't think of, you know, a, a different way or a better way to serve. Um, I'm now at the point where I've been doing this so long. It's like, what, why limit this? And as wonderful as it has been from experience for my kids and myself to limit it to 25 kids, when maybe I could reach 250 by, by connecting with other educators, or how about I will reach 2,500 if I can connect with community people, or how about 25,000? Why stop? Keep adding zeros. Um, I'm really at the point now where I'm motivated to share what my experience has been I've started thinking about how it could look outside of the educational world because that is a narrow a narrow piece of the population I'm trying to reach. It's just like I was saying earlier, you got to serve where you are. And I was in a classroom and that's where it all started. And I'm, I'm trying to get to the point now and, and, and meet and connect with you know, people in the co corporate world and nonprofit organizations. I've been sharing my ideas with a lot of people um, and talking about the specifics of it to say, how can we spread the joy so this is a contagion? Um, and so that's really where I'm at now. So you're sharing, and I love that. I love the fact that you know you're out here explaining your story and and the feelings that it gives you. And I think the listeners feel it, right? Everybody has experienced that altruistic feeling, that helper's high that you you refer to it as. I mean, sometimes I've had conversations with people about specifically is it selfish to be charitable because it feels so good am i doing it 
for the feeling. And, um, you know, of course that's, that's, that's part of it, but how do you see the next five years? Where do you want to go? Like my favorite question is how can I help? Okay. I'm going to take, first of all, I love the whole idea of talking about, uh, the selfishness and being charitable, be selfish. <laughs> yes. Be agreed. selfish. And that is the data though. The data is, it is incredibly beneficial to both. Yes. The, the, the person who is providing the service or charity and those who are receiving it. And it actually, the data is suggesting that we are getting more than yes. we're giving. And if that's the case, be selfish. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm yeah, not going to change funny. the brand it's, name though. But it's, it's, it is really funny. And it's a, it's a deep, deep conversation because it's also, you know, well, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm not going to share with what I'm doing. I charity is, personal and it's you're not supposed to stand out and say what you're doing however you know what we're doing we're raising awareness we want people we want to talk about it we want to create that contagion that you're talking about we want people to get that same feeling that we're getting by being charitable i mean it's the the benefactor is awesome right let's let's help those in our community let's help those the feeling you get is amazing but what people don't even realize is that third factor is the people that see it. Mm -hmm. The people that witness what's going on get a really good feeling about it. And where are we without really good feelings? Well, it's it's funny. I'll, I'll I'm going to table the next five years for really quickly just to talk okay. about the 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 t-shirts because the t-shirts are really cool. So again, the kids wear these t-shirts on Fridays, and the first one was the We Not Me, designed by a, a good friend of mine from Life Is Good. Um, and from that point, and this was like a couple of years, and again, COVID kind of got in the middle and disrupted me sure. developing this program. Um, and that's why I'm kind of, you know, full, full, full steam ahead with it now. Um, but someone saw and noticed what we were doing. And I received a, a lump sum of money and said, hey, I want to make a donation. Cool. I want to make a no donation. And what I'd like you to do is let's get them some more gear. And yeah. so I'm actually, the listeners can't see it, but I'm actually wearing the second shirt, which it says altruism. And it gives the definition of it because I talked to my son and he does a little bit of graphic design. And as you know, the, the digital natives are really good with working with the computer and whatnot. And he said, dad, a lot of people might not know what altruism is. They may have heard it and, you know, what, what is that? So he saw a teacher sign that said teacher. It was like basically the teacher of all professions. You know, it was, you know, it, it talked, it showed a dictionary definition of it. And it had, it, you know, the pronunciation and then it had the definition of it and parts of speech. So he said, that would be cool for the kids to have a t-shirt of that because we not mean, they might not know what that's about. But imagine if they, the kids were rocking a shirt that said altruism or, you know, be altruistic, something like that, and then defined it for people, because that's one of the things that we've, that the kids have evolved, um, evolved with them is that they can talk about it now. Not only do they understand that their experiences help us high, and they know the science behind it. They're like, listen, I'm being, it's all about being altruistic. We're trying to improve the community. And, and the one thing that they say that I didn't get in the beginning, which again, kids teach you so much. If you just listen to them, you know, do for others without expecting anything in return. And that was the takeaway from me. And so the projects got to the point where we were serving staff and doing things for staff is the kids would say, Hey, can we do something for them without them knowing it's us? 
and that became a novelty to them. Um, and they they loved they loved the whole concept of saying, "Hey, we're not doing this for credit, but we're still going to reach people um, and do what we we do best, and that's to serve." And to see the effects of it and feel good about it. Yeah. So I will go. I'll go back. I didn't. I wasn't avoiding your the next five years because this is the you know this is the loaded question. Yeah. So one of my mentors, which was my high school assistant coach, basketball coach, um, who went on to um, start his own business. And he actually works with entrepreneurs now. And he's kind of been mentoring me along the way. But again, the difficulty is not everyone has worked in the schools. So to take what I have done with kids in the classroom to be able to transfer that over to other industries, other professions, um, other organizations is really what I'm looking to do next. So if I say the next five years, the next five years, I would love to see um, we not me develop into um, a program that other schools can adopt. That would be, I would consider that like phase one. And that would be something that whether I do it through social media, word of mouth, um, you know, a website that actually just has people access a downloadable curriculum. So people can actually put this into practice and, and kind of tailor it to the needs of their community. The next part of it was, and this is what the, my mentor shared with me, he's like, I could see this as having a big, um, a, a mobile application, a website platform, where you have uh, three, three entities working together. You have an army of people who want to serve, who want to be altruistic, who want to be charitable. They either want to do it individually, they want to do it behind the scenes, they want to do it as a collective group, like the PMC. Or, or you know, a lot of some of these popular charitable events that happen um, all over all over the the country. He says the second part is the recipients. We need to meet people where their needs are. Like, did the kindergarten kids need a buddy? Not necessarily, but they appreciated us coming down and making bookmarks with them. But imagine if people said, "Hey, I really need this. Is a need that I uh, that that I have. My organization needs. My community needs the." You know the rehab elderly, um, uh, uh, elderly institutions need. Who who are those? Who are those people? Who are those needs? And then the third part, and this is the part where it gets a little um, dicey for me because uh, being in education, clearly I'm not in it for the money. However, there are corporate opportunities for people to walk alongside, and these are some of my corp, my good good corporate friends who are saying that there's lots of money out there that people want to be a part of this, whether you're a nonprofit organization or you are a for-profit organization, people might want to be able to walk alongside that so these three entities can coexist. And that could be in the form of, you know, a drop-down menu for the, the South Shore that says, hey, his his projects in your area that need that that needs it to be met, soup kitchen or whatever it is. Now here's 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 a group of people who want to do that, whether it's the you know, Marshfield lacrosse team, or it's the Boys and Girls Club, whoever these people who want to serve, the Boys and Girls Scouts of America, whoever it wants to serve. And then we have corporate sponsors or someone who walks alongside us that may be able to provide us resources, extra, you know, people power or um, or or monetary support. Um, and being able to do that for all three of those entities to kind of work together um, is kind of a, a big, big goal that I would love to see. Um, and it, then as we de I develop it in my immediate community, for that to something to grow, to be a model for 
the rest of the country. Because I want to go back to what I originally said, Mark, is this whole idea, and I don't know if I shared this in the beginning, but I was thinking it, this whole idea of putting people in the position to experience altruism in all its benefits. And sometimes you've got to put people in that position. And I'll talk briefly about this, the one um, year after I graduated high school. So I did, I did well in the Boston public schools, but because there are a lot of challenges in the, in the, in the schools, I wasn't ready for college. And um, I had uh, my high school basketball coach, um, put me in a, uh, he had, he got me connected to a program that was funded by Reader's Digest at the time. And they took 15 of like the, you know, promising kids out of inner city Boston, and we're going to put them in the elite private schools all throughout New England. And so I got a full scholarship to go to Northfield Mount Hermon, which is the Northwest corner of the state. And that was another seed plant for me is that I go, this raw city kid goes to an elite private school where there's so much wealth there, beautiful campus. I'm away from home pretty much for the first time. Um, I'm doing a postgraduate year to get ready for college. And one of the things they mandate is that every single student, every 12, all the 1200 students from all over the country are going to serve and you're going to serve or you're in season because athletics is a really was a really core component of an education at, at NMH. And so I am serving in the cafeteria alongside a prince, literally. And so it was unfathomable to think about uh, this kid from Mattapan, not a lot of means on a full scholarship with, you know, royalty. And, and we both were on an even playing field and we were both understood this whole idea of we need to be a part of this community. And just because someone is paying a lot of money, someone's not, doesn't, um, you know, exclude you from being a part of this, this whole idea of serving. And so that was a huge takeaway for me. And that actually was as a started, you know, again, started this whole process of, wow, if the private schools are doing this and people were paying 20 to $30,000 a year to go to school, I think we can think about how we can get this into the public schools and other organizations. And even thinking about if going back to the next five years, even thinking about organizations, um, corporate organizations where they have, and we talk about, you know, I've talked about my friends about retention, um, workplace retention and those kind of things. And we talk about that at school all the time, but some of my friends talk about in their workplace, like, yeah, we can't hold on to people. Yeah. And I think about what about having that component being part of your core value as an organization um, that you devote time and energy. And I know Fidelity and companies like that had come out to the public schools, um, but doing it on um, a more consistent ongoing basis, because I like to keep going back to the data. Um, the data says that you can't be one and done. You can't just say, hey, I did the you know breast cancer walk and hope that that helper is high or you really make an impact. It really is the ongoing um, um, altruistic acts these, these acts of kindness, the service mentality, and it's not every day, we all have lives, but imagine if you're doing that on a consistent basis, a couple of times a month, um, over the course of the year, you know, you've, you've served on so many levels and you've built amazing life, um, long, you know, life altering, uh, relationships, um, that, you know, I'm seeing on a smaller scale, um, with schools, but I think that I, I think, uh, in the next five years, um, I'm determined to, to really spread the joy and not restrict it to, you know, to a classroom of 25 students. 
Well, I love that you refer to yourself as the developing altruist, right? Because it is a journey. It is. And it and it, it gives you the life energy. I talk about life energy a lot. And a lot of it is that giving back. It's that helper's high. I've never heard that term before, but I really, I, I'm going to own it. Now, there's <laughs> listeners here who definitely want to help. I know it. So how would they get in touch with you to, to say, hey, Fitz, how do I help? Well, I would first say, is it okay for me to share my email? Of course, you okay. share what you want. So this is Sean. Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that my inbox is plentiful. Um, but my personal email is Sean, S-E-A-N, Fitzgerald, F-I-T-Z-G-E-R-A-L-D, 25. That was my basketball jersey number. Yeah at yahoo.com and i would say that is the best way my my son's trying to convince me to really develop my linkedin profile and that's in a process now um and uh, i've actually i've i've created a, a web a facebook profile live we not me so it takes we not me and live to make, make it more actionable and that's something that i'm just trying to develop um but right now um i would say that i would love to be, um, and this is where it, it, it's funny as my son has these entrepreneurial um, thoughts and as he's entering college and he's thinking about business and his his career and future, you know, he says, dad, stop talking about this. And it's not that I don't love it. I want to see it put into action. Mm. And so my actionable steps are, I don't want to go with this alone. And yeah. I have been doing this alone. Um, and people are very excited. I I have to say is not a hundred percent with a lot of things. I've shared this with hundreds of people, the ideas, the stories. Um, and we've just hit the tip of the iceberg with what I've shared today. Um, and people walking away and not one person has said, I don't think this can work. And not one person hasn't come back and saying, this is what we need right now. This is what our yeah. world needs. So it is yeah. incredibly validating to hear people say that. And, and believe me, I, I am around enough friends who will tell me when I'm off base or share an opinion that differs from mine. And that's why I, I love about them. And I'm at 100% right now. So I know I'm on to something. It's now I need to surround myself with people who are who can you know provide an area of expertise, an area of experience that I don't have right now being limited to um, being in the classroom. Um, there it is, folks, the call to action. <laughs> Send them an email. How can I help? How can I help? We, not me. Now, Sean, I know you've listened to a bunch of our podcast episodes, and I appreciate you doing that. Uh, so I didn't want to leave without asking you the question that is asked to everybody. We're getting together. Karaoke. What are you singing, buddy? Karaoke. And what's really funny is that I shared that with my wife. I said, I listened to a couple of these episodes, karaoke, and she started singing. She didn't start listing. She started, I'm going to sing this. I could sing this one. So she actually is not shy with that. I, however, would have a very difficult time with it. But I thought of a, a couple of songs and it really came back to, and I really want to embrace my upbringing because as I moved away from Boston, even though I work in Boston, I live in the South Shore, I'm away from kind of the daily grind and challenges of Boston, it's at my core. And I think that's what brought me back to being a Boston teacher. And so thinking of the songs that I grew up with, one that really would be a great karaoke song would be Rapper's Delight. Nice. And, uh, for those who don't know that, it's a it's a pretty fun, long song with lots of lyrics, but um, upbeat and uh, it would be, get everybody on the dance floor. I appreciate you very much. I appreciate everything you're doing. I wish you all the best. I can't wait to sit down and figure out how I can help you 
Thank you for joining today. That means the world to me, Mark. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Folks, this has been another amazing episode of Elements of Styles. If you listened in and you were moved, please reach out. Please share this with somebody. Get involved. Be well, folks. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.